What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we're talking about another book that wasn't that great. Okay, I'm not going to say it wasn't that great. Well, let's just get into it. So we're talking about Robert Graves and his book, The White Goddess. So just to start off, uh, Robert Graves is a writer, born July 24th, 1895, and died December 7th, 1985 in Dea, Spain, um, which is in the island of Mallorca. Which sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. So if you've been following Instagram, you know that I was on vacation and actually I was in Mallorca for part of my vacation. The deal was I was going to go to his house in Dea because it's a museum. And I thought this would be wonderful. It wasn't wonderful? Well, it was... <laughs> That's two, a no. It was... No, it was two hours plus away from where we were. Oh. And it got to the point where I didn't want to do this anymore. I did not want to be... I did not want to leave on these long treks mm-hmm. on my vacation. Um... And I just said, you know what, I'm over it. I really don't care how he lived, where he lived, or what he did. Yeah, especially, like, reading the amount of the book that I read. I didn't really care that much either. Okay, so let's go into it, because I feel, I feel, I don't want to give this book a bad rap, because I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, but, anyway, let's get into it. You know, there is a divide within the neo-pagan community on this book. So, if you're sitting there going, yeah, you know what, I agree with Gemini, this is just a bunch of of nonsense. Um, that's fine. But, and I wouldn't even say that this is a book about the craft. It's not. It, it isn't. And I think when we did summer reading, we kind of said, at least to ourselves, that this was going to be older texts right. that weren't necessarily like how-to books, but right. were like things that would have influenced people like Margaret Murray, people like... Gardner or Crowley, which right. then leads to influencing the, the craft overall. Right. Um, what bothers me with him is that he sounds like a conspiracy theorist in this book. Yeah. Like, I am going to tell you um, this, this hidden meaning, you know, and we'll go over, you know, different things about it. When really, I don't feel like, I don't think it's that hidden. I, I think yeah. it was pretty out there. But anyway, um... So the book is an essay, basically, on the nature of poetic myth-making. So it was first published in 1948, but it was based on earlier articles that he had done on the same subject. So it's all about myth-making. Now, he does say, hey, I'm not a historian. I'm not, you know, somebody who researches myths. I literally have no knowledge of my subject except that I'd like to write poetry. Right. And therefore, I want to look at poetry this way. Now, that in and of itself to me is cool. How many poets are actually looking at older poets and older poems, I'm sorry, and saying, wow, I think there's greater message here or let's look at these stanzas and... You know, that to me was cool that he actually wanted to take the time yeah, to look at. I think nowadays we call that an English degree. Yes. So maybe that's why I liked it so much. <laughs> maybe I felt I was back in grad school. That's fair. Um, anyway, so he argues for the worship of a single goddess under many names. And he concludes that the male-dominated monotheistic god of Judaism and its successors were the cause of the white goddess's downfall. So basically, Robert and, Graves said, it's all the Jews' fault. No, he means, because Judaism is older than Christianity. I know, but... 
Oh, here we go. Okay, I didn't look at it as a piece of anti-Semitism because he was he just meant like because he said it, and the you know and its successors. So after that comes Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the problem. That's the beginning of all. Yes, our woes. the Jews are the problem. Oh my God, that's not what he's saying. Okay. It's really close though. Okay, I guess that my problem is just it's very much. I get exhausted by these like entitled dudes who have visions of what reality was and then say things like we're tying back to a matriarchal age and everybody's yelling kill 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 blood 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 like i think actually dude you had a very concrete idea of the world and you wanted everybody to believe you versus like a discovery that you made and changed your whole life like it, it sounds more like you read margaret murray and we're like oh my god i could sell this wasn't she 1937? 37? She's checking her notes now to see if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah. 1931. Yeah, it's quite possible that he did that. But, I mean, I think a lot of people did that. A lot of people were inspired by Murray trying to yeah. find, you know, and he did it in his niche. He said, yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go out and try to be an anthropologist. I'm a poet, so let me look at poetry and let me look at the myths yeah. and all that. Um but yeah, I did feel that a lot of it was conspiracy theory, you know, trying to find, trying to find, I don't know what, inside of these poems that, yeah, you know, I mean, he actually took one myth, one poem, printed it there, and then did it again. Like, he kind of like redid mm-hmm. it. And I thought, well, it was clear the first time around, so I don't understand why you're doing it again. Like, yeah. what are you trying... And that's when you start saying, well, you're trying to sway. You're trying to lead us. Right. right. Which, like, in a courtroom is against the rules. You can't lead the witness. Yeah. It should be apparent the point you're trying to make. But, you know, he does, he does begin by talking about English social life and how it was based on agriculture, grazing, and hunting. And the popular celebrations, the same four that Margaret Murray talks about in her book, he talks about here too. Yeah. So I think that's where for me it's it's interesting because if you are looking at poetry or mythology and saying, Okay, let me see what I can put together and then you start talking about the agriculture, like I'm not really sure where you're going with this. I'm not really sure why. Like why are you incorporating this stuff? It's almost like he wants to talk about Wicca, but he's Wicca adjacent. So one of the quotes that really stood out to me He says something to the effect of, like, the language of poetic myth, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. that is anciently current in the Mediterranean and Northern Europe. And that didn't make any sense. What does anciently current mean? And then as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, it's this this desire to go back. He's not actually talking about the ancient culture. He's talking about the current interpretation of the ancient culture. And I think that, for me, gave me a better understanding of it made me more cynical, I'm not going to lie, but it, may, it gave me, I think, a better understanding of the text because he's not, he's not really saying that he knows anything about the past. He's saying our current obsession with this idea is founded on this magical language in honor of the moon slash the muse. And that makes what he's saying not necessarily truthful because he's then goes on to be like, everything in the past is all about this. Mm. But this quote, it, it almost feels like a Freudian slip. 
And it's funny because I wrote the same quote. Yeah. So that's when you started saying it. I started pointing to it. I'm like, yes, I wanted to discuss that as well. It feels like he knows that what he's really talking about is the making of magic and the beginnings of Wicca and the beginnings of that coming back into the forefront and less about the actual reality. And that, like, when I was reading things like Murray and Gardner, I've talked about the fact that I don't like the sort of fake history the the idea that like these cultures acted exactly like this even though it doesn't fit with anthrop- anthropological data but i didn't have as much of a problem with that with murray and gardner because for me they're religious texts if the history is wrong that's fine it's a parable that's fine it's a myth that's fine it's teaching you something this is not a parable this is not a religious text so taking history out of context or manipulating what history might have really been to fit your desires seems a little bit more malicious. Okay, see, and I saw it a different way. For me, it was this guy who, like he says, I'm a poet. And he's kind of finding things in the poetry that, I don't know, maybe lets other people know, hey, when you read something, Read it. Do a close read. Yeah. Really look at what you have here. Because these are older pieces of, even if you don't have the actual old Greek mythology, you do have somebody's interpretation, somebody's retelling of it. So why is it valuable now? If we're talking about summer reading, right, we're not talking about books on the craft that people should read or the early. We're talking about a book that's not, it might be the craft adjacent. But I think it's valuable to see somebody who's not a witch, somebody who's not claiming to be an anthropologist, somebody who is simply just looking at writing and saying, oh, geez, look at this. Yeah. You know, I think that these people then and how it relates to us now and what they were trying to say. So that's where I think it's valuable. That's where I would say to people, yes, what you said earlier, maybe it's because it's the English student in me, the literature student in me. But if you're interested in something like that, I think this is valuable to look at. It's not a book on Wicca, even though it's got a lot of mythology. The mythology of Caridwen actually got under my skin a little bit. Oh, really? Would you like to talk about how his portrayal of our gods is, like, not great? Because I am ready. Well, you know... Your pupper is also ready. Yes, he's, like, losing his mind over this. He refers to her as a hag, first of all. Which, rude. Um, the guy had a job. <laughs> the three drops that gave him all the knowledge were the only three drops that were valuable. The rest of the potion was poisonous. Yeah. So he took her hard work and then wanted to run away with it. Um, yeah, you kind of get punished for that. Why she goes screaming after him like a hag? Okay, so that upset me. But, again... He's not wicked and he's not claiming to yeah. be. This is how he's interpreting the mythology. So I think, I don't know, to me that's valuable. Stuff like that. Just to see how somebody looks at it. I kind of feel like this could have been a shorter book. I feel like he went a little oh, too Oh, for sure. I didn't finish it. Just full disclosure. Oh, okay. I got really bored, honestly. <laughs> I just was like, oh, okay, another annoying dude. All right, I'm good. Also, he did, um, he did try to maiden mother crone the myth of Paris. Mm. And uh, that's unacceptable to me. First of all, because which one's the crone? 
Which which one? Robert Graves? Hera? Athena? Aphrodite? Which one? I wouldn't call any of them a crone, and I'm not even Hellenic. Right? Like, yeah. first of all, how dare you? But second of all, just, like, the logistics of looking back at history, looking back at the texts from the Greeks, that is the wrong interpretation. That's you forcing your schema onto this story, because there is no crone figure. Hera is never referred to as a crone. Athena is never referred to as anything but a maiden. Aphrodite is Aphrodite, and I don't think I have to explain that. Right. So, putting that interpretation on this myth, saying these three are actually one goddess in three forms, is not right. No, but again, we're talking about somebody who has no clue about that. He's trying to look at the reading without without any kind of knowledge about the history or what it truly means. He's trying to just take the reading at face value and try to interpret it. So this is death of the author before death of the author was a thing? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Which is cool. I don't like death of the author. No, but, you know, again, do I think something like this is valuable? Kind of look at it this way. You have a lot of people that are not in the craft and they'll ask you, so what what do you do? What is it to be a witch? Look, I had... A nephew asked me over the, the summer, because um, I'm plugging Witch Space everywhere, especially in Spain. I was trying to tell people, Love like, that. hey, you want to listen to Witch Space? Well, what's, what's Witch Space? And what do you guys do? And who are... I kind of look at it that way. Here's somebody who, if I told my nephew, okay, I'm a witch, and he didn't know which way to go and started reading mythology, he might pull things out, try to make connections. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. In, in that regard, I kind of think this is valuable to have people look at and see what a poet makes out of mythology that, quite frankly, for some of us, is like sacred text. Yeah. Right? You look at this mythology, you go, this is the... This is this the Bible. Is, yeah, what we know about our gods. What happens if you don't come at it from that perspective, and then you make these assumptions, or you yeah. completely twist things around? I don't know. I think there's something to be said about, you know, looking at... Why did he make those connections? They're totally wrong. Yeah. But, they're very wrong. But why did he make them? And what's in the mythology that gave him that idea? I think it also makes us look at things critically. You know, we talked yeah. about how um, in, a, in an earlier podcast, how here we are in this magical world. And yet when a, a spell goes right or somebody says that they can do something, we're the first ones to go, yeah, really? Like, yeah, we're, gonna, yeah, yeah, skeptics. We're, very, we're skeptical uh, about things. So I think it's good to read something like this and go, what do you, what do you mean she's a hag? All right, step back a second. Yeah. You know, and take a look at it. So I think that's what Robert Graves in in The White Goddess Here did for me. It's a lengthy text. You got to be ready to do some serious thinking. But I like being challenged. I like being questioned sometimes, you know, questioning myself. Yeah. Not being questioned by somebody else. But questioning myself like, okay, why was this insulting to me? Or why was I upset by this? And why did he make those connections? Yes. You know, that might be interesting in the mythology itself. I'm not saying that we need to listen to him, but yeah, it's an interesting take. I also will say that I think we plugged summer reading as like, you could read this on the beach. Yeah, you can't read this on you the beach. You cannot read Robert Graves on the beach. You can't. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I was so unresponsive to it, because I was trying to be like, well, this will be fun. It wasn't fun. You needed post-it notes for that book. Well, but thanks to this heat wave, I've also been in my house for several days. So if, if you have a heat wave where you are or any kind of inclement weather, 
this is a good book to like, you know, hunker down and say, okay, I'm going to do some serious thinking about this. This is some good hurricane book. Okay, don't, no, no. Listen, Florida gets hit by hurricanes all the time. It's very normal. Yeah, no. I don't like that word. This is a great tornado book? Nope. Great hailstorm book? Nope. Hailstorms? How many died in hailstorms? I don't like any of it. This is a great heat wave book. You heard it here first. Thank you. Okay, so what else can we get out of this? So anyway, so his big thing was showing how poems contain an alphabetic code. Yeah. I don't see it. I think that's where he really, really was reaching. But I was rooting for him. Like when he started talking about it, and he even had like a palm, and he had the alphabet on the palm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And was trying. And that's when I went, oh, dude. You You lost me. Yeah, you lost me. But I was rooting for him because yeah. I thought, okay, you go. This could be cool. This could be cool. Yeah. You know. Um, it reminded me of, like, um, Gematria. Like, the, the letters mean numbers, and you can mm-hmm. add up the numbers, and they mean certain things. But, like, a more confusing Gematria that didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. I guess one of his main arguments is that all true poetry is an invocation of the goddess. So... So I feel like he went at this, like, pure of heart. You know, I am a poet. Yeah, my poems are true poems, and therefore all true poems are invocations of the goddess. Wow, dude, I'm just trying to find, like... She's trying to be so nice, and I'm just like, nope. Because I don't think this is horrible. Yeah, Um, I mean, I'm definitely, like, being super harsh, but it's also, like, I think all of the things that I hate. It's a dude who's being super Eurocentric, who's, like, not having any sources, who is claiming some kind of valor that I just don't know if he deserves. Okay, so I'm just going to say this. I wonder if we're just not... Are we just getting burnt out on, you know, the patriarchy? These, like... Oh, yeah, I'm so over dudes, just (laughs) as a concept. (laughs) These dead white guys. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, we're not done. No, we're not even close. If we're going to go, if we're following this. um, But has anybody ever really read these books the way we're doing it and really talking about them? Maybe we didn't notice because we weren't, you know, you you might read Gardner and then read something else. Yeah. But if we're, we're following the line of Wicca, especially, then it makes me wonder, you know, is that the problem with Wicca in general? I really liked this project because I think a lot of times we come at the craft in a very, you know, and understandably a very religious sense. It's all very sacred. It's all very venerated. And there isn't this analysis. There isn't this looking at, well, how do things grow and how do things change? And that was so formative to me when I became a witch in the first place, when I became pagan in the first place. For years, I called myself a pagan historian. I didn't say that I was, like, eclectic Wiccan or anything, because for me, it was about figuring out how the path grew and developed and what branch of it I was going to be on. And so, yeah, I do think, hot take, that the bones of Wicca are a little bit tainted by these white dudes who were using it to, you know, manipulate people or take advantage of people. People like Crowley who were you know, having naked orgies and trying to hit on their, you know, it wasn't like a coven because he was a ceremonial magician. His group 
people like Gardner who were taking credit for things, like from Doreen Valiente. Who, let's face it, was a white nationalist. Right, so there's so much in the bones right. that is not good. That I think pretending like it's there, it's not there is bad for Wicca. I think this is something that needs to be done. Not just, I, I think it's good that we're doing it, but I think it's good for everybody to do it. To, to look and see, well, what, what did we start with and how can we make it better? How can we make Wicca more inclusive for non-white, non-European people? How can we make these ideas sound less like some dead white dude? And I think we've been doing it for years, but nobody's really sat down and, and said it in that kind of way. Like, we've been decolonizing magic for years. And I don't want to, not we, right? People of color, you, not me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> People of color, you know, not necessarily women, because it's really a women-focused religion, but we've been taking the bad things, the, the tumors, and pulling them out. But have we been outward and vocal about it? Has it been this particular thing is bad versus this foundational aspect is what caused that thing? We'd have to look to see if if it is the foundation. Yeah. That you know, we don't know. I don't think people have really sat around to, to discuss it. I think people are just changing what Wicca looks like and not talking about why the changes are coming. You know, um, you know, witches of color are coming out and they're, they're saying this is my culture and I incorporate this with this and this is what I do. And there is an acceptance now that I didn't see years ago. Even when I was starting in the early 2000s, Wicca was British traditional Wicca and you couldn't practice BTW unless you were lineaged and initiated and it was only, you know, the Celtic gods and those were your options. And I think we're starting to realize that like that is inherently bad to say to people like you can't practice the religion that matters to you. You know, what I think is interesting, and I'm not going to give too much away because I'm in the beginning stages of doing this research, but it was in Spain. Mm -hmm. And there are certain towns, there are certain places that are very witch-heavy, mm -hmm. history-wise, um, on two different, on opposite sides of the country that are known for it, that are just known for witches. And I want to study it more. And one of the reasons I want to do that is I think about the influences Spain has had um, as the big colonizer of Latin American countries and when you think about the indigenous people of the lands being colonized by these Europeans, what did the Europeans bring? Mm -hmm. What was their magic? And if, I don't know, if somebody else had been around instead of Gardner and they had been from Spain, what would that have meant? What would Wicca be? Yeah. You know, would it have incorporated then the col would the colonizers have incorporated those that had been colonized yeah. and would would magic would just be completely different. Yeah. Um, and I want to say it probably would be because not only did people go to Latin America, they went back. Yeah. You know, and you notice it in the way people speak. You notice it in the foods that they eat. 
you know, they there's a, there's a mix of things. There are things that are specifically of some countries, and then there's a mix that you find in a lot of countries. I refuse to believe, especially when you talk about a lot of the religious persecution that happened during the Inquisition and beyond, and people started exploring, people started leaving, that we didn't have this influx of other people. So I just, you know, with other beliefs, magical beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I want to look into because, um, yeah. And, and I also found out from somebody in the family that um, one of the cities that I love so much mm -hmm. actually is like the opposite of the hell mouth. It's like, it's like oh, a good vibrational. So yeah. Cause the hell mouth is terrible. It's terrible. No, but it's like, it's a good place. It's got like good vibrations, mm -hmm. which is why people like are attracted to yeah. it. And she goes, I'm not surprised that you like, you love it there so much. And I'm like, wait, what? And she was t talking to mm -hmm. me about it. So, so again, yeah, you know, we talk about British traditional Wicca, but there's, there's other witchcraft and I don't know. I mean, they call it Wicca in Spain as well. I'm not saying they yeah. don't, but what was there? How different was it to everything else? And stay tuned to Witch Space because I'm going to figure this out and I'll be talking more about it because I think it's interesting. That's why I get exhausted, I guess, because especially with Leland and with Graves, like they're not religious. I can't look at it and say, well, this is what, you know, this is why wands are a thing, right? They're, I'm not taking that out. There's not any aspect of my religion there. So I'm just looking at it in terms of, oh, so this is another dude talking about Northern Europe and the Mediterranean and not talking about any of the other magical practices that were existent in the world, but all goddesses are the same moon goddess, right? That is the part that just drives me crazy. I am such a hard polytheist. And when everything gets boiled down to just these Celtic or, you know, Gaulish gods, it's like, okay, what do I take from this then? No, but see, again, I like this book because it wasn't written by somebody who's pretending to be Wiccan or investigating Wicca or trying to tell us the truth about Wicca. He doesn't claim to do any of those things. He claims to be a writer. Yeah. Looking at mythology and going, oh, wow, all goddesses are, are, are one goddess. Okay, no, but I don't find it insulting because he's not, he's not presenting this as follow this religion or yeah. this is a religion. He's saying, this is just my hot takes. And he got some things wrong. He made me look at some, you know, pieces of mythology differently. Yeah. And made me question some of the things that we read in general. So I think in that respect, was it light summer reading? No. no. Um, would I recommend this and say, okay, read this instead of reading a seminal text? No. But if you kind of want to see somebody else from the outside looking in, but not like a Margaret Murray who's yeah. saying, you know, this is fact. He's not saying this is fact. He tells you throughout the book, hey, 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 I'm not Welsh. I'm not a historian. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. So, so take a look at it and go, huh, all right. You know, for that, for the language, if you like literature, yes. That's what I would say this is a good book for. I'm actually glad that I read it. Um, in the summer, um, would I look at it again? Probably not. But I was curious to see what you thought more. Um, there was so much Greek mythology, and there was a Dionysus mushroom cult, and I don't know anything about it. Neither do I. So that's another thing that was not a thing. I don't think it's a thing. Yeah, it probably isn't. Like, there were definitely people who followed and worshipped Dionysus who did, like, 
weird stuff. Like, you have the main ads, you have Bacchanal, you have all of that, like, let's get drunk and high and, like, go crazy. But I don't have any... I have no text, I have no information that specifies, like, yeah, these people did mushrooms, ate mushrooms, like, there's... Maybe. I mean, people did a lot of weird shit, but it's not a thing. There's not, like... It's not like the Eleusinian mysteries where, like, there is evidence that people were, like, worshipping Demeter and Persephone in specific ways through specific rituals. Like, that's... He could have made that up, and it would be honestly expected. Was there anything in there that you read um, when it came to the Greek myths? Because he does talk about a couple. Was there anyone that you went, oh, it's just, I don't know, it's just an interesting take? Or was it all just like, this is complete garbage? It was... I didn't like his premise. And I didn't like the way he addressed the Greek myths. And so there wasn't really a time where I was like, oh, this is interesting. I, it was just like, okay. Uh, okay. Ugh. Okay. Like, was he consistent? Yes. Was I invested? No. I kind of looked at this a little bit, and I'm trying to remember when I had to read the Bible in college. But I took a lot of courses on different religions. And one of them, I did have to annotate portions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And coming from not a Christian background, it was really easy for me to annotate this book. Mm-hmm. It was, there were stories, you know, and I had to make connections between things and it was all, all the literature and, and the language. So I would say I probably made as many mistakes as Robert Graves probably made. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like coming from a point of view of just, okay, these are stories and what's going on and, oh, I'm going to connect it this way. I'm sure if I had taken my notes and talk to somebody who was Catholic or whatever, they would have said, what do you think you're reading? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's what he did. Um, Yeah. And I, I do have to say that like the hero's journey is kind of foundational to Greek myth. I also don't love the hero's journey. Like I, I think that the hero's journey tries to shrink writing into less than it is. I think there are other stories. Hmm. And so as much, like for me, that's easier to read because I can go, okay, well, this is my religion. This is how it works. But I also don't think that like in an English context that that is fully correct. Got it. So for me, the problem with this book is I didn't like the way it treated my religion and I didn't like his premise. So there was no good. So there's nothing. There was nothing there that I was like getting behind. I get that. I can see that. Okay. So... A miss or not. I think it depends on how you how you want yeah. to look at it. I think it. that if you're into English, if you're into, like, reading and you're into poetry, it's, you have to read it. You should read it. It it does make you think. For me, it made me think angry thoughts. Or, like, annoyed thoughts, mostly. It wasn't even angry. It was just, like, annoyed. For you, neutral thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to say it was neutral. It, it made me think about stuff. It didn't make me look at my practice. It did make me, did make me look more at my reading, like how I read things. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, I went into it, this is sort of Wicca light summer reading, and it it's not. Okay, so we're going to we're gonna do is we're going to have real light fluffy stuff for next summer. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, we're going to totally like look at this. Well, it's going to be totally different by then. So yeah, but I mean, I think it was good. 
I mean, it's, no, there are reasons why you should yeah. read it, not for your magical practice. No, no. And I would say if you're starting out, definitely leave it alone. Yeah. Because it might confuse you. It might, you know, because you are going to see elements there that sound familiar, sound familiar. that are definitely part of Wicca. And you're going to, I mean, you might not, but I think if I was starting out and I read this, I might start to confuse what I know with what yeah. he's saying. And then it all becomes one jumble. But I think if you've already, you know, established your craft and you've never picked it up, pick it up. You know, if you like literature and poetry and all that. I think it's I, I a think winter it's book. Probably is. I think it's like book. snowed in. Yeah. Or a heat wave. Or a Come heat on. wave. I don't want to do things during a heat wave. Like, I just want to lay and, like, put on a TV show because even reading is, like, too much mental effort for me. Depends on the TV show. I'm watching... No one's allowed to judge me for this. What? I'm, I'm judging watching... you. I don't you know what said it, but I'm judging you. What? I'm watching Naruto because my students really want me to watch Naruto. I'm not judging you. I'm really into anime. Like, I'm gonna... That's not a lie on the podcast. I yeah. just... Naruto is... It's really long. It's a lot. Um, we did make some suggestions in the Leland podcast, and I'd love to hear from you if you read The Wicked and the Divine. The ninth act is coming out later in August, so we will know the end and, like, the conclusion to the story of the White Goddess, basically. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to post about it on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you guys what you thought about it. You also suggested a comic, and we were supposed Spell to watch... Spell on Wheels. Spell on Wheels. Let us know if you read it. I haven't read it yet, but I will. Yeah, and the show was Always a Witch. Yes. On Netflix. So our summer readings, I don't necessarily think, turned out the way we wanted them to. Eh. But I would love to continue doing this on the podcast because I think it is really fun to do something that's not a religious text. Yeah, we could do that again next year. Something something more light and fluffy, yeah. but definitely take some time out in the summer to relax yeah. Not do very religious things. Well, you know, and I really recommend going outside. I mean, we had a heat wave, but seriously, I know that this most of the year I'm stuck indoors. Uh, I can't do anything. And this is a nature based religion. I want to be outside, whether it's the water, whether it's the woods. I, I want to be outside more. Yeah. And and I think that's what bums me out also with the heat wave is that I'm stuck back inside. And it's like, no. <laughs> Please no. I did my time inside. Yeah. I'm an outdoor person now. Like, yeah. let me go outside. So, um, yeah, go outside. Connect. And then next full moon, we're back on track with A Witch in Time. And it's Raymond Buckland. Yes. And the book is uh, Big Blue. I'm kind of excited. It's complete, a big blue. Com- complete book of witchcraft. There's so many books he wrote so much, but this is the one. This is yeah. the one that we really need to to look at. It's most people's favorite, so we'll talk about why. I guess that's it. That's all for me. I'm hoping this heat wave ends, and the next time we're please we're talking by all the gods that have ever existed. I need it to be cooler. This is awful. It's so bad. But oh well. Yeah. So a big thanks to Sean McShane for the wonderful intro and outro music. We love you. It's amazing. It is. And of course, thank you to our listeners for listening. You're amazing too. Absolutely. And remember, if you're following the moon, you're following us. <laughs>